I want to talk to you this morning about the life of Elijah, if I may. I've been on a series talking about the, uh, the essence of the call of God and how important it is to recognize the call of God on your life. There's not a person here this morning that does not have a call from God. Now, you may have never heard it. You may have never heard it whispered to you. You may not have any idea what it is. But I want you to know, because you're on planet Earth, God puts you here for a reason and a purpose. So every person that's under God's direction or under God's flow, there is a call of God on your life. The truth of the matter is, right now, you may think that it's not that important to you. There will be a day in heaven where you will live with or without the rewards for answering the call of God. Now, I don't know what that means. I just know that there are certain rewards that will be given out in heaven for people that, that treat God as precious and that fulfill the call of God on their life. That instead of living for themselves, they find out, Lord, why you put me here? And they determine or they try to live out to the best they can that call. Uh, now, I don't know, like, I don't know what it means when it says we'll live without reward to there. Man, if we get in, hallelujah, you know. Well, just to, just to get there, I'll feel like I'm a winner, won't you? But there is reward. So I don't, that, I don't know if that means certain people have Cadillac and some people get mules. I don't know. But there will be a price that will have to be paid for not fulfilling the call of God on all of our lives. So what we have to do once we come to the Lord, that has to be a real urgency in our spirit. And, and God puts it there like automatically. Most of you can remember the time that you gave your heart to the Lord. And then you can also remember as you gave your hearts to the Lord, there came this real desire in you. A desire for fervence in the Lord and the possible calling. Maybe, maybe you went down to your local bookstore and and bought a package of chick tracks back then. Or, or maybe you started a prayer group to pray. But something, when you came to the Lord, you knew that your life had taken a different focus. And so, you, but what happens is, because life gets busy, and life is rough, we forget about that great call a lot of times. And then before you know it, we're just living life like the rest of the world. Not living out the divine purpose and divine call that God put on us. And so that's why we're talking about this. It's to some way help us to, to be, to have come to a place of understanding. Man, God's got a call in my life. It's real important that I pursue it. And it's real important that I prepare for it. Now, somebody says, well, it's pretty easy if, when you call to preach. Well, not really. So I don't feel like preach is my major calling. And in fact, I really don't even have a time in my life that I feel like God told me to preach. It just kind of happened. I mean, I, I don't. But there are other things that I feel like I will be really responsible for before the Lord that God did call me to do. And it's those special ways that God... And I fulfill them probably more so than even now back then when I was working construction or, or working in, out in the public because it gave me opportunity. That, that's where that you use this calling of God in your life, mostly. I mean, in the church, we all look nice this morning, dressed up. We look like we got a world by tail, you know. 
But be honest with you, tomorrow morning, anybody be able to see really where we are. And so that's where God's called us mostly to live out this calling. That's why it's just so important. It's so important to recognize that calling and then prepare for that calling. Well, and that's why we're dealing in the book of Elijah. And we're calling it this morning, Answers from the Life of Elijah. That from his life, how can I possibly sort out some answers that will help me fulfill the call of God? Well, Elijah, what we've taken is three major chapters out of the Bible that's found in 1 Kings. Now, chapter 17, that's kind of the call of Elijah. Man, that's where the Lord dealt with him in his life. That's when he seemingly, if you and I would have when you come to the Lord and you, and you got all the fervence for God. And Elijah was willing to sacrifice whatever. I mean, I remember that time. I remember when we was willing to sacrifice whatever, you know, whatever the Lord wanted out of our life, which we didn't have much to give up at that time, but we gave up what little bit we did. Now, I remember for me to be give, up, uh, give, give up a Harley uh, for the ministry. And that was hard for me at first. Now, now wouldn't be any problems. I don't ride a Harley. But you that do, it would still be hard for you, right? But I remember how hard it was to, to make that choice. Lord, I'm, I'm going to move over in this other side of life. I'm going to give up some things. I'm going to walk away from some things that I can gain some other things. Amen. And, and through the process of it. But then as you get older and things get, you get to hold to your little this and that. And, and in fact, let me tell you what one thing that was a blessing to me. Uh, I live in a house that my family built. I mean, uh, me, my kids, and Elaine, we built. I, I live in that house. It was a former gymnasium. It was one of those old gymnasiums, you know, the kind that, man, you played with, and when it was real wood on the real floor. and, and but, So what we did was we tore down that gymnasium, and we moved, and we moved it, and we built my father-in-law house, and built my house there out of it. And that's what I presently deal with, live, live in. And I like it because it's the same gym that my wife played in. But a reminder, you lost more games than you won in that, in that house. Well, that's the house I live in. It's kind of odd because it's odd-shaped because it was a huge gym. So I built it with kind of big materials. God's asking you to do some major thing. Many of you have given up on job promotions simply because it was going to move you and you felt called to the Camden area. Many of you have felt called to ministry and you've spent years in preparation for that in some way or the other. Others of you, I mean, some of you have really given up when it comes to giving up things for the Lord and the call. And I, I'm here this morning. If I had a hat on, I would take it off for you because I believe that that's the wonderful thing that we're supposed to do. We're supposed to live our life under the dictates of God. And there was a reason that the Lord put us here. And each one of us have that divine calling and that divine place for the glory of God. So, but then we could look on in to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18, it is when Elijah began to move powerfully. 17 was when he began to sacrifice. He sacrificed. He lived by a little brook. And he ate from the birds that would bring him food because they were hunting him. And, and he was running for his life in his life with God. And then then First Kings chapter 8, he became very powerful. And in that he was able to stand against the prophets of Baal. And, and that exemplifies the powerful time of his life. But then we move in then to First Kings chapter 19. And First Kings chapter 19 is... That out of nowhere, he was blindsided. Although that 
First Kings chapter 18, that he was strong and powerful. All of a sudden, we begin with First Kings chapter 19, and he's weak and frigid and afraid. And I want you to know, if you're going to live life, there's going to be all three of those episodes from time to time. There will be that time where you will be God's man of the hour, or God's husband of the hour, or God's wife of the hour, or God's... But then there will be those times when seemingly out of nowhere, you will be blindsided. And all of a sudden, what was not supposed to happen, happens. What wasn't supposed to take place, it takes place. And all of a sudden, you will find yourself in a fearful place. And that's exactly what happened to Elijah. So we're going to begin reading there with 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 3. This is when he has found himself in, a, in what has happened, shouldn't happen, what he had what had come to pass is it, what he had really ran or desired to be far from his life. All right, first three said, and when he saw that, now, if you have a, a, a pencil, that'd be really good in your Bible to circle that word that. Every one of us have a that. You understand? That, that, that which shouldn't happen, that in which did not turn out right, that which did not work out, that which we didn't understand. That which we're faced with now that we're, that is trying to destroy our life, trying to hold us back. Every person here has a that in their life. And that, that is what we have to deal with. That's the thing that makes us fearful, afraid. Even though we've been known what it is to be a man of power or a woman of power, now you're faced with something. And you said, if everybody just knew how scared I was. But I want you to know, God also deals with that time in your life. Now, whether that is a, a prognosis from a doctor or whether that is a, maybe finding out that a child has gone in the wrong direction or maybe that's in a husband that, that's not fulfilling his role that he should or a wife that's not fulfilling the role that she should or maybe it's because that you've been working on a job and now in the midst of everything that you, you're facing layoff. Every person here has a that because of two reasons. One reason is because we got a bad devil. And you've got to recognize that devil goes after you because you love Jesus. You can take it personal, but it's not personal. The devil hates you because you love Jesus. And there are things about you in your life that resemble the Lord. And the devil hates that. And the Bible says to that person, he becomes as a thief, a thief, to steal and to kill and to destroy. So the first reason things are happening in your life that shouldn't be, that you got of that, is because the devil just hates you. But there's another reason, and that other reason is what helps us, is holds us stable in those points of life. That other reason is because God has let this happen. Yes, the Lord has led me there. In fact, Jesus himself in Luke chapter 4 had that happen to him. He had just come out of the glorious time to when he was baptized. And all of a sudden, her voice sounded from heaven. And a dove descended down upon him. And, then, and the recognition, first time recognition, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And right in the midst of all of that that took place that was so good, the Bible says next, that Jesus was led, but that word led means pushed. He was pushed by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. He was pushed. 
And I don't know about you, but I certainly had things in my life I felt like I was pushed into. It wasn't things that I wanted. It wasn't things I accepted. I just felt like, man, this is what life has dealt and life has pushed me into this. But the Bible gives us insight here that during those times that the Holy Spirit is leading you or pressing you into a wilderness. Heard somebody say the day I thought was so good, said this. He said, God will never lead you into a wilderness that he doesn't already have a promised land on the other side of it. You understand what I'm telling you? And the Lord did not lead because God has led you here, because he's pushed you here, because the Holy Spirit has pressed you. Then you can know something. God's not going to leave you there and you're not going to eventually have to live there. That if you can deal with the things that God has led you there to deal with, if you can work through in your own personal life the things that God has led you there to, to, to so you would have to work through, if you can come to a place or if I can come to a place where I can defeat that fear, because, see, fear is the devil's prognosis of my situation. But faith is God's prognosis. Fear tells me things are not going to work out. It will not work out. This is too bad. This is too wrong. That my life is messed up. That I've lost it all. That I'm too old. I mean, that's what fear tells you. On the other hand, faith says, I can use this in your life. I can use this. And I can make what seems to be bad and I can turn it for good in your life. And I can make it come out a miracle. And I'm going to tell you what, only God can do that. Only God can take a mess and change it into a miracle. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. Somebody give the Lord a praise for it. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. Only God, only God can take our mess-ups, our trip-ups, our fall-ins, our things that we stumble over. It's only God that can do that. But I'm here to tell you, by reason of you being there, God's letting you know that I can bring you over that and I can use that for my glory. And that's really what we find in this First Kings chapter 19. Because what Elijah, man, he's afraid and he's scared and, and now he's, he's running. Let's just take up right there real quick. And it says, and when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life. And went to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. I'm going to go ahead and read several scriptures. Then we'll talk about a few minutes and we'll be dismissed. Verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. What has happened is when Elijah became fearful, he went to the opposite forest extreme to where God had put him. God put us there. Now, Elijah runs to the far extreme to where God had placed him. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die. And he said, it's enough, Lord. It's enough, God. I've had all I can take. I've had everything that I can put up with. Now, Lord, take my life. For I'm no better than my father's. Verse 5. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Verse 6. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake 
baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back, verse 7, and the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. So he arose, verse 8, so he arose and ate and drank and he went into in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. Amen. Verse 9. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? I want to talk to you just for a few minutes in closing. I want to talk to you how to fight fear. When fear has come upon your life, your victory over the fears of your life will determine the victories that you will be able to achieve and walk through in life. If your fear is the fear of people, then unless that is one, then the place, and also to notice your fear is usually tied in to the destiny that God has called you. Usually you can tell the destiny that you're called by challenging the fears that you face. The very fear that you're afraid of usually tied in is to the greatest blessings that God wants to bring into your life. Amen? All right, there's two major ways that we can fight fear. I'm going to give them as an outline whole. Andy, would you and Maria stand up together this morning? Would you mind? I want to thank you. I just want to take a moment. I meant to do this earlier. These are our weekend pastors, and I just love them and appreciate them. And I appreciate our weekend pastors. So if you have a need going on in your life today, man, this couple can pray for you and they can believe God for you. Amen. Amen. There's two major ways that we can categorize all the steps to get out of here. But there's two major things that have to be two major blocks in our life that have to be there. The first block is this, and that's the presence. How are you going to defeat that fear? You're going to defeat that fear with the presence of God. So whatever it takes for you to move your life in to the presence of God will determine whether you're going to really be able to defeat that thing. And the second thing is with His power. So you will move into a place where that God's presence, where I can find God's presence. That's why, that's why the scriptures here are so explicit when it talks about that when Elijah ate the food that God had prepared, a supernatural ability and a supernatural strength came on him to where he was able to go 40 day run, 40 days and 40 nights to get to the mountain of God. That's speaking of when you and I find ourselves in a pit, there's going to be a process to us to overcome it. And it's going to take a supernatural strength for us to be able to get out of that pit and finally get to the place that God wants us to be. So if you're looking for a quick fix, you're underestimating the calling of God on your life. Because the calling of God on your life is a benefit to God to the point to where He is willing to be patient with you. And He is willing to work in you. In fact, that's the first thing that God does when we find ourselves in a pit. 
we can always know that God will be patient with us. The first thing that happens when you find yourself in a pit or I find myself in a pit is, I began to get discouraged about me. And I began to question where I failed. What did I do wrong? And before you know it, I'll take the devil's position in my life. And if I don't watch myself, if I don't recognize that the patience of God is with me, the compassion and the care of God is with me, God is not against me, but God is really for me. And when I fall, I will not be utterly cast down because God, the Bible said in the book of Psalms, God is going to pick me up with His hand. So if I can just hold on to the hand of God, God will get me out of this pit and God will set me on the place that my life needs to be. So I must realize that, 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 the, the, well, that I must allow God to do this. So everybody say God's patience. If you're going to find yourself in the pit, the first thing that you know, God's patient with me. God's going to work with me. I, I was with somebody the other day, and they said, Jerry, I have fallen so many times. And I think they possibly had a number. I, they like, I have fallen like 10 times, or I've fallen like 11 times, or I've fallen like 12. I'm here to tell you, I have fallen thousands of times. And God has never, ever failed me. And I don't believe God will ever fail you. That when you fall, God is willing to pick you back up and to lift you up for the glory of God. Because God has p- patience. But the next thing God has is God has provision. God has provision for me when I'm in that pit to get me out of there. God's not asking you to do it in your own strength. Or God's not asking. Everybody say grace. The greatest provision God has is grace. Grace is God's power poured into your weakness that causes your weakness to become strong. God has grace. And God has this powerful provision for us. In the midst of that provision, God will just... Pour, it's just like liquid strength that God will pour. If I will begin, that's why that if I'm going to begin to, I must begin to recognize God's presence in my life to be able to uh, receive out of God's provision. Right, the first area of provision is God's, I must make God my goal. His presence must be my goal. Whatever it takes for me to get out of here. Whatever it takes for me to move that place. And you hear people use all types of excuses. They say, well, Jerry, I can't understand the Bible. Man, that thing's a a weird book to me. I can't understand it. Some people say, well, I, I like preaching, but I can't understand the Bible. Some people say, well, every time I try to pray, I fall asleep. Honey, every one of us have suffered through that. But it's those that will stay in that condition that God will not be able to pull out of that ditch. But if you this morning will treasure the presence of God and say, whatever it takes, I will get into the presence of God for Him to be able to pour His grace and His forgiveness. And not only forgiveness for me, God's grace pours forgiveness for you to be able to forgive others. Some of you are hung in the place you are right now because people have hurt you and you can't forgive them. Honey, that is no excuse. God's power will help you find the place of forgiveness. You can't. But God can. It's not in your own power. It's in God's power. God will be the one that will strengthen you and help you to forgive those that have failed you for the glory of God. So in this great provision, in the scripture, we simply see there that when Elijah was there and praying to die, so discouraged and so fearful, 
The Bible says that when he woke up, and really an angel woke him up, an angel poked him. I don't know about you, but I've been poked several times. I hope it was by an angel. I usually thought it was my wife. But, but been, been punched, and that's why it was woke. And then when he woke up, he saw God's provision that God had provided for him. Food that had been cooked, and God had provided him drink to drink. You know, immediately you can go into the book of Matthew where Jesus said that you must be willing to eat my flesh and to drink my blood. Did you know that brought a division in God's, uh, in God's, in Jesus' followers? Do you know when Jesus said that, they couldn't understand that? Jesus said, if you are going to be, if, you, if I'm, if, what he said is, if I'm going to be in you, he said, you've got to be willing to eat my flesh and to drink my blood. Well, the book of John says this was a hard saying. And said many people couldn't accept this. But I'm going to tell you what. If you're going to make it out of the pit that you're in, you're going to have to recognize that God has provided nourishment for you. And you're going to have to find a way to begin to eat his flesh. And the Bible says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You're going to have to find a way to get into the word of God and let the word of God become your source in this situation. Amen. You can argue about that. You can fuss about that. You can say, I don't understand it. You say, well, I'm, I'm, you know, you can go through all those reasons or you can come to a place and say, if I'm going to get out of this mess, I've got to let God nurture me. I must allow the presence of God to be my greatest goal. So I will determine, I will get into the Word of the Lord. And a lot of times I, that, that, that simply means focusing of our life. Focusing on our life, putting God first. Some will say, you know what, I just can't stand, I, I just can't have that time with the Lord, I'm too busy. I'll tell you what, when, you, when your life gets bad enough, all of a sudden you will find out we're not too busy to seek Him. You understand? Do you want it to have to develop that? That's what the Bible's talking about here. If your pit, if your pit is low enough, then you are willing to change whatever it takes to change to move forward in the Lord. Amen. And so we will begin to eat his flesh or to eat his nurture. And then you'll begin to drink. I mean, God has provided things for you. That's why when Elijah woke up, the drink and the food, the drink and the uh, flesh or the drink and the nurture was what was going to give him the strength to run 40 days to get to the place where he could go in to finally hear God. I don't know what is keeping you or me from hearing God, but whatever it is, we got to be willing to put it behind us and take a hold of the desire that is to find God no matter what it may cost us. Amen. In fact, that's the reason the dilemma is there. That's why the pit is there. The pit is there to change me. The truth of the matter is, I've already changed as much as I'm going to change unless something changes to get bad enough in my life to force me to a greater desire for change. And so the Lord has allowed this pit to happen in your life. This stalemate, this, this brick wall, whatever it is, God has allowed that to happen so that we, I could get serious with God. And those things that I have been refusing to change in my life, I will begin to bring those before the Lord and begin to be the person that God has called me to be. Whatever it takes, we've got to let God's nurture be the nurture of our life. Amen. So that's what it simply means. Allowing the Lord to be the nurturer. 
and then to realizing the, pro- the, the process. The first thing that God expects me to do, if God is simply going to, if His presence and His power is going to be the things that's going to help me change my pit into a miracle, the first thing I've got to remember God. Everybody say, remember God. Now, I want to back up. I told you the big categories. Let me quickly close with the minor categories, minor steps. I've got to remember God. That's what it means. That really, the presence of God in my life really means I've got to begin to remember God. That when I allow this thing to overcome me, I'm not remembering God. I'm not thinking about them. I've got, got to come to a place that I never forget God. In Psalms 50 and 15 is this wonderful scripture. It says, honor me by trusting in me. See what it says? The Lord says, honor me by trusting in me. Amen. If I will trust God in this situation that I don't understand, it will honor the Lord. If I would trust God in this situation that I don't understand, it will honor God. I'm going to tell you, I have to come to a place to realize if I'm going to go for the presence of God, this thing's not about me. I've got to realize there is more at stake than what I see. And every one of us always try to make our battle about us. And we've got to realize there's a bigger battle at stake. The kingdom of God is trying to use you to advance forward. The kingdom of God is going to get another knock in on the devil. And God is going to use your situation to do it. God's going to use whatever you're walking through, whatever dilemma, God's going to use that to lambast the kingdom of darkness. It's more than just you. There is a force of darkness that is there to hinder you, to fight somebody says, what's your big problem? See, you've got to stay. If I'm going to go for the presence of God, I've got to stay focused on eternity. I've got to realize there's a bigger picture. Man, I'm going to, this life here is going to be short, but there's going to be a time in heaven that's going to be forever. Amen. If I can put up with the rotten here and now and deal with the things and walk in the course of the Lord, later God is going to give me a worth worthy of it all. Amen. Amen. I must stay eternally focused. In fact, that's the way that God tells us to deal with the battles that we face. We got to realize there is more to this than this. There is more happening than this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, notice what it says. It says, our present troubles are quite small and won't last very long. Notice what it says. Our present troubles. What is your present trouble? What are you going? What difficulty are you facing just like Elijah was facing? What are you handling? It says here that it's quite small. That's God's estimation of my problem. Well, I, well the first thing I said, God, this, you got the wrong problem. Because mine's not quite small. Mine's pretty big. My problem. But the Lord says, well, Jerry, look at me. Now look at your problem. If I can keep the right focus and I realize that when I see God and how big and how mighty and how glorious He is, then I look at my little peep squeak problem, then my problem will become into the right focus on it. In fact, God describes whatever I'm going through. This is His description of every present-day trouble. And I know that we all feel that our trouble is the worst trouble. But the Bible says not so. The Bible says every person, every person, every person has had troubles in allotment to their position. And God guarantees that you will never face anything that you can't handle. And you can never face anything that He will not create a way of escape. If I think about it right, 
Now, I know for sure, Joyce, my problem is far more than your problem. You know, here this morning, right now, I'm in one of those seasons too. Personally, what I'm going through on the inside, I'm in the third greatest one I've ever had. And so in the process of it, God said, Jerry, you've got to begin to think about it right. You've got to concentrate on it right. God says, I see this as quite small because I'm so big. Jerry, I see this as quite small. I see this as an issue I can handle. I can take care of it. If you just have faith in me, if you'll let me use this situation to drive the fear out of your life, Jerry. If you will allow my faith to replace the fear, then you're going to find this is really quite small. And what it says, and it won't last very long. See the next part of that verse? Woo! They bring that verse back up there. That's the part I love. But now according with God, a thousand is as a day, and a day is a thousand. So it's hard. When God says it won't last very long, it may last a little bit longer than what I consider. But this is God's estimation of what I'm going through. It says, Jerry, that is quite small and it won't last very long. Yet, they, these things I'm going through, will produce in us what God says I'm going to do in you through this. What I'm going to do in you through this. You can't even measure it of the glory that I'm going to build into your life through it. Isn't that a good estimation of my problem? And it says, that will last forever. What God is doing, God is using the little things that I'm facing that God says is small. Hold on, I'll say, God, you, let me tell you how big this is. You can't understand. I know this is going to bankrupt every angel in heaven to get me out of this. But God said, that's not my view of it. My view of it is really small. And it's not going to last very long. But God says, what I'm going to produce in your life with this will last forever. You know, we fail to understand most of the time. Because every time we hit a a problem, a problem hits us, we use the minus sign. This is going to take from me. I'll never be able to ever regain the joy and the happiness. I'll never be able to regain that again. You know, God's math doesn't work like that. I heard just a few days ago, uh, I thought a good expression of God's math. Earth's math says 2 plus 2 equals 4. You know what 2 plus 2 equals in God's math? Whatever He wants it to. Whatever He wants it to. 2 plus 2 can produce a million or 2 million. It's whatever He wants to. And God says that God's going to do this in me. Something that's going to last forever. So I've just got to keep it in perspective. But my responsibility in it is this. So we don't look at the troubles (laughs) that we can see. Lord, what am I going to look at? My Lord, you see the woman you gave me. Let me remind you, I was praying so she's not the one I picked. It's the one you gave me. That's a complete lie. But God says, if you look at your problem, 
your problem's going to get bigger than you. And if you keep looking at that problem, that problem is going to get bigger than me in your life. And all of a sudden, you're going to see that problem as something I cannot solve. But God says, don't look at it. Why does it say? We look forward to what we have not yet seen. For the troubles we see will soon be over. Somebody say, I'm ready for my soon. I'm ready for my soon. I'm ready for the soon. But the joys to come will last forever. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. Give the Lord a hand. <laughs> so you remember the scripture I gave you earlier? God says, will you honor me by trusting me? Will you trust me? Will you trust me to do something far greater and far bigger through what you've went through? My little cry, my cry, God, I will trust you. I will trust you. I cry. I will trust you. Let's bow our heads just for a quick moment, if we would. Lord, I thank you so much for your goodness. Lord, I want to thank you for the times that you have brought me over and through things. And I thank you, Lord, for the times of those in this building right now that you have miraculously you showed up just in the nick of time. Lord, you came to our rescue so many times, Lord. So why would I let this, Lord? Why would I let this take my joy? Lord, why would I let this take away from me what you're trying to work in me, Lord? Why, God, would I dishonor you by not trusting you? to take care of this. Lord, in my personal prayer, you know what I'm praying over. And Lord, in front of all these people right here, I could could begin to weep and cry in a moment of thought. Because see, Lord, my battle is important to me. It's the same devil, Lord, that tells me that if this doesn't work out, Jerry, Your life will have meant nothing. But I trust that to you, Lord. I trust you, Lord. I trust you. I trust you that despite what the enemy is trying to say, the destruction that he's trying to show, the years of being without that this could produce, I trust you. I'm going to ask if some of you just join me in that trust. You that are facing issues. You that's facing insurmountable difficulties. You that are facing things that you just can't figure out how God is going to work it out. Can you yourself join me in that release of our faith? If there's some here that's going through those issues, and you will, with me, 
close this service by releasing our trust in the Lord. Would you stand with me? If you're here this day, if you're going through some of those insurmountable situations, circumstances that seem to be so devastating, those problems that that seemingly cannot find a solution, those those things that just so so drastically speaking to me that that if this doesn't happen, your life is over as far as happiness and joy. But you know what the Bible tells me is the greatest tool that God has given to me in my arsenal to not only handle the difficulty of thought with, but to be able to release something that will be a cry for God's help to come. That's why the Bible says that through the weapon of our praise and the weapon of our thankfulness, that when we don't know what to do and when we don't know what to say, we can offer thankfulness to God. And the Bible says, if I will concentrate on praise instead of concentrating on the problem, that it will literally become a weapon that will be able to stop the Bible promises in Psalms 149. It will become a weapon that will be able to stop the plan of the devil that the devil is trying to bring. In fact, the thing that makes the difference in us and the world, I'm saying the thing that makes the difference in a believer and a non-believer, the thing that separates the sheep from the goats is not something mystical. It's not something even too hard. The thing that separates us is the believer never stops praising. A believer never stops praising. Because a believer believes that if he praises, that God will come to his rescue, that God will answer his cry. And that God has promised to never forsake us, to never lead us, to never let us be alone. That He will walk us through this thing and He'll bring us out in the promised land for His glory.